great to see everybody today. Man, this is, uh, this is awesome. Hope you guys are having a good day. If you're in your pajamas and just kicking back with your, your big flip-flop uh, tiger slippers on, I hope you're enjoying yourself with a cup of coffee, just getting the family together and just relaxing. Um, it's, it's really different. Uh, it's, it's a different kind of feel. Um, matter of fact, I really... I know you can't see it on the camera, but uh, Tom Brady's right over there, and uh, Tom's good to see you today. Uh, what's that jersey you got on? Uh, is that what kind? Of, what kind of jersey is that? All right, we'll talk a little bit more. See, these are all the great things you get to do if uh, you do this thing on video. It's a lot of fun. Hope you, <laughs> hope you guys are uh, having fun today. You know. Um, as we're going into this season and we, we're talking about the COVID-19 uh, and I know everybody's been about the news and all that stuff, uh, that we're doing things a little bit differently here at the church. Uh, we're going to be doing it this evening at 7 o'clock. We're going to be doing our youth, which will include a junior high all the way through 12th grade. They'll be going online, and we invite you to tune in for that, all the youth to tune in for that. Also, this coming Wednesday, we'll, we'll be doing a Bible study. Susan and I will be joining you online. Uh, we'll continue with our study of the Resolute Heart. I think it's really important to look how people in the Bible experience challenge and how they remained resolute in difficult times. So that's, that's going to be so apropos. I mean, it's incredible how God has lined us up as a church. And then on Thursday at 7 p.m., we're going to begin our children's church ministry. So we invite the kids to join us. Uh, Brian and his team will be meeting just like we normally would and we'll be online. So we invite the kids to join us at 7 o'clock. We try to make everything at 7 o'clock so that you can remember when to join us. A lot of this will be changing and we'll be kind of massaging this process and giving you different ways to connect. But uh, we're really excited about how we're able to connect right now. Also, um, don't forget to give online. Continue to honor God, even though it's a difficult time. That's really when giving becomes a sacrifice of heart. And we invite you to continue to do that um, via our website and through our app. Also, we'd like a photograph of you. We'd like you to take a picture of yourself wherever you are this morning and uh, of you watching what's going on today, watching the service. So please just kind of take a picture of it and send it to info at crosstownchurch.com or just uh, hashtag Crosstown Live and we'll get it. And I hope you don't mind, we'll probably post some of them. So take a picture and send it to us that you're out there and that you're joining us this morning. You know, uh, being a part of all this, I know we're all frustrated in different kind of ways and we're all having to respond in different kind of ways. But the thing that bothered me the most about COVID-19 um, and this whole being at home and staying at home or just working with a few people is, um, is not the staying home part. Uh, because I love, I love being at the house, but the, it's the feeling useless part that really bothers me. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to find a balance between prudence and and productiveness, and that's really difficult to do. Uh, there's routines that we're maintaining in my own personal life to make sure I continue to stay on the clock of, of progress in my life and offer some continuity. Um, but I, I just want to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm being used by God. So I, I prayed about it and asked God for a productive way for me to be involved in all this. And I found an activity that I would like you to consider joining in with me. You know, during 9-11, Firefighters, law enforcement, and first responders spotlighted the response. We all remember what it was like in New York City. And, and you know, every one of us, wherever we were, we just, we just wanted to be a part of, be a firefighter. We wanted to be a part of the police force or be a part of the EMTs and be, get in there to rush in and, and help. But it seems that that community was the community that was being used by God to respond. And, and then overseas in different conflicts that we have throughout the world, our military is, is there to respond for us. And, and we're proud of what they do and we always thank them for the service. But it seems that this one is grabbing a different part of our community. It seems to be grabbing our medical 
professionals, our doctors, our nurses, technicians, and volunteers, and, and hospitals, you know? So it's, this is really different, and this is a different group of people that are responding, that are the focal point of response for us as a community. So I decided to kind of uh, find a, a medical professional and get involved in their life somehow. So, you know, so what I'm calling this is, in the middle of COVID-19, I'm doing MedLove 20. And what I mean by MedLove 20 is that I found myself a medical professional that I know was working a lot of hours, particularly on the coronavirus response. So I, I'm not a medical professional. I can't go and sign, hey, you know, do you want me to cut in there? You want me to inject this in there? I can't do any of that stuff. So um, I decided I'd just wash the car for them. So I got their keys, I took the car to my house, I washed the car up and then put it back uh, where I got it from, and that's an important part, put it back where, they, where I got it from, and, and when they came out, they enjoyed the fact that, wow, this kind of refreshed my life a little bit, made me feel a little bit. So let me encourage you to look around in your life, pray and ask God for somebody that needs med love 20. And that means that you would maybe mow their lawn for them, Maybe you take out the garbage for them, maybe. And these are things that you don't need to make contact with the individual. You, can, you don't have to get into a crowd to do this. You can just arrange it that, hey, I want to cut your lawn for you. Hey, I want to uh, wash your car for you. I want to do something around the house for you while you're serving our community. So let me encourage you to join me in doing MedLove 20. And I'd like you to get a picture of you doing whatever it is. And, and, and not so that we can boast about it, but so that we can encourage other people about how we can make a difference in the uh, coronavirus response. So, you know, I, I, I really do feel blessed as a church because we seem to be ahead of the curve on this event. I mean, we've gone through years of flooding so we know what it's like to go live. We know what it's like to lose our facility and have to go someplace else. Um, the other part is, has been all God as far as, like in the New Year's, God really laid it on my heart and Stacy's heart that, that there was, he gave us first a refresher in his promises that we needed to hold on to. And then I remember at the beginning of the New Year that God specifically said that we were gonna be challenged as a society that as a culture, that our lives were going to be turned upside down and that we were going to be challenged. I didn't know what it was. Don't make me out to be some great prophet or anything like this. Um, but it, that there was going to be a challenge that was going to come into the lives of Americans. And um, then God led us into study Abraham to reimagine our future. And here we are, right at this time, needing the promises of God, now stepping into this moment of lives being turned upside down and beginning the process of reimagining what's America and our lives going to look like in the future. I mean, we have just gone right down the line being prepared for this moment, and I feel really blessed as a community of believers. So we're just going to continue as God has led us this far. We're not going to go back. We're going to, we're going to continue to talk about what God has laid on our hearts because it will be the right response for this particular moment. So we had just happened to start a series called Raise to Rise. And that whole idea was built off of a, a kind of an obscure English word to raise, R-A-Z-E. And that means just the opposite of raise, R-A-I-S-E. Uh, even though they're homonyms, they are actually antonyms. So they, they are words that are opposite from each other but sound the same thing. And R-A-Z-E means to destroy to the ground, to, to just wipe out and reduce it to the ground. And the word R-A-I-S-E, we all know, is the idea of raising something up, building something up. And so what we were looking at is in the life of Christ that God seems to raise R-A-Z-E through the body of Christ to, do, to lay the punishment of the world unto the body of Christ that he's, he dies on the cross and then on the third day he raises them from the dead so that he's raised to raise so that you and I can experience new life. We saw how Jesus, when he went into the city of Jerusalem to start off his ministry, one of the first things that he did is that he went into, into the temple. He didn't go into the Circle K. He didn't go into the library. He didn't go into the, the mall. He went into the church that day 
and he began to turn over the tables. He started raising, R-A-Z-E. He started destroying a concept of, of God, a concept of interacting with God, a concept of church, and he turned it upside down, and then he said, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. Raise up intimacy with God. And we're in the middle of that as believers. I think God's turning things over um, as a result of what this virus is doing, God's using it in the life of the believer for the sake of, hey, maybe there's some things in our lives that needed to be turned over so that something new could be raised in our lives, something empowered, something, something better than what we have. And so we're in the middle of as a society, not only experiencing a medical phenomenon, but for those of us who are willing to listen to what God wants to teach us in the middle of this event, we see this as an opportunity for him to turn some things over, not just to make a mess, not just to destroy, but rather so that we can be taught by it, that we can be, um, become more like Christ in all of it and become what God has called us to be. So last week we talked about how God, through the raising, the R-A-Z-I-N-G of the body of Christ, and then the raising of it from the dead, that God tore down the wall that separated me and you from him. That we heard how the temple, in the temple, that the, the very curtain was ripped in half from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom up, not in some religious activity, but from a divine act of God ripping it open so that he, he moves that, he, just, he pulls it out of the way so that you and I can enter into relationship with him and be set free from the condemnation of sin. But today we're going to look at something else that God was doing in the raising, R-A-Z-I-N-G, to the ground, and the R-A-I-S-I-N-G, something up even better. And that will probably be the last time I'll do all the spelling, okay? I think we all got the idea of what's going on here. You know, before and leading up to the time of Jesus, God's promises were mostly exclusively directed towards uh, the people of Israel, Okay, now embedded in that promise to the, to the people of Israel, there's this promise that through Abraham's seed that he was going to bless the whole world. But for the most part, most of the blessings seem to be contained in the, in the sphere of, of relationship of God with his people of Israel and, and through his promise. And the promises were only encountered through being a part of the people of Israel. You know, so... As I've looked at that kind of scenario, how God's worked it out in history, I've tried to figure out God on this. And I don't know if some of you are, are like that. I mean, I don't read something about God and just go like, wow, that was amazing. I, I'm God so awesome. Now, sometimes I scratch my head and I'm just like, why did he do it this way? Why, why pick a group of people? Why, why develop this kind of like exclusivity? Uh, it, it seems like, uh, doesn't he love everybody? And, and, and so I tried to figure this out. And well, the definitive answer that you can come up with if you're kind of like brainless um, is, uh, is that, well, God can do whatever he wants. And that's kind of like the uh, old stoic answer, you know, uh, God's sovereign, he can do whatever he wants, and I, I, I don't know what this means, but, you know, it's kind of like an old guy like that. He can do whatever he wants. And, and that's a good enough answer if that's the only answer God gave us. But if, if we begin to look in the scripture, we'll find out that there's more going on here. God's, God's doing something incredible in the middle of this, and, and that God's communicating something to us through this kind of this allegory of having this exclusive people. Um, if you've been around Crosstown, you know that I'm fascinated with the creation story. Uh, and I'm not just fascinated with it because it's, you know, kind of a cool story. I'm fascinated with it because I've always wrestled with the issue of my faith in science. It's always been something difficult for me. I'm, I'm not somebody who believes easily. Uh, I, it's not a gift I have. Some people can believe and, and that's, they're awesome. And that's cool. I wish I was one of you. But I have wrestled with my science perspective of the world and also with my God perspective of the world, or I saw them as separate and they're not really separate. But, but it always brought me into this book. And, and I've read a lot of commentaries about it and tried to reconcile it with some of the scientific things. And, and at another time, I could share with you how that, that all got resolved. But one of the things that I noticed is that God put Adam and Eve in a garden. Now, I know you're, you're giggling right now at, house, at the house, so you're like, dude, you know, 
Uh, everybody knows that. I mean, it's like obvious that he put him in the garden. Can't believe that you had to read that story a gazillion times to figure that out. Um, but, but when I was looking at that, that he put him in the garden, what made me realize and I, is this idea of where did he take him from? I mean, so, and I don't really know the answer to that, but I do know that, that he put him in a garden. So if you have garden here, then there's this other place. And I, I you know, I call it the earth, but this other place called non-garden. So it's, it doesn't have the functionality of what the garden is. It's this non-garden place. And I think it's implied that being in the garden is better than not being in the garden. And so he takes them out of this non-garden and he puts them in this environment that he creates just for them. Therefore, the garden was created in part to show distinction between non-garden and garden. And again, I know you're probably laughing. It's like, I can't believe you're just figuring this out. But really think about it. This is, this is operating like a photograph, especially those Ansel, uh, Ansel Adams photographs, those black and whites of the national parks where there's this contrast that is developed. And it seems that in the garden that God's creating this contrast. He's using the garden itself to create a distinction of contrast that it's all part of the same picture, but there's non-garden, and then all of a sudden there's this contrasting image of this idea of a garden. You know, the closest representation that I could think of it today is the city of Dubai. Um, I mean, you look at it, it's like right in the middle of the desert, hundreds and thousands of miles of desert, and then you've got these incredible islands that have just cut a swatch and a design, an icon in the middle of the Persian Gulf, and it, they're absolutely beautiful. But right out of all that, out of that contrast, there arises this incredible, beautiful city, state-of-the-art, probably the richest city in the world. But it's interesting how it is contrasted um, against its surroundings. As, as you're flying in or as you're driving in, you're seeing desert everywhere. And then all of a sudden, this rising up of this incredible city. And this idea of being cho chosen, that God is communicate, communicating, is to communicate some differentiation between the status quo, between what is everywhere, and then there's this thing called chosen. There's this, this exclusiveness. There's this desert life over here, and then all of a sudden, there's this garden plopped right in the, the middle of it all. So the idea of the garden speaks volumes, but it speaks volumes to Adam and Eve. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, can you imagine? I don't know what that ride was like, but all of a sudden, they're in non-garden world. Don't know what that's, again, he, he makes them, and then it tells us that he puts them in the garden. Can you imagine that ride? They're like, whoo! You know, I mean, that would be, a, can you imagine all the other people? Because, I mean, they're still naked at this point. So that's uh, the first streaking going on. Is they're, they're taking, boy, we can't edit this, can we? This goes live right away. So I, I got to make sure I stay on top of that. So, um, so we got them flying. He drops them in there. And all of a sudden, they begin looking around. And they're like, dang, you know, this is beautiful. We're not in Kansas anymore. I mean, it's just incredible, the environment they're looking around. And they're just beginning to think, wow, this is nice. And it begins to communicate something to them. First, it may communicate something to them about them. It's like, what did I do? You know, it's like, what makes me so special that I got picked to be here? And then it begins to communicate something to them about the intentionality of God. It begins to say, whoa, he must really like me. I mean, he took me and he put me here, and then it's like, wow, there's, there's, he has an intentionality towards my life. See, establishing this inclusive, exclusive contrast begins, is the way that God communicates to society and to the, to the uh, human mind the, the idea of value, the idea of intentionality, the idea of chosen, the idea of being special. So we begin to look at... Um, all, we, we begin to look through history and through scripture, and we begin to see these relational um, structures reproduced over and over again. 
Um, we have families that become inclusive and exclusive. We have marriages that, that have the same kind of functionality. And we have um, communities. We have, even in Israel, we have one nation, but then we have these tribes. And you always wondered, why, why have tribes? Is, is that, you know, this idea of belonging and distinction and inclusion and exclusion can be used in a very powerful way to bring identity and value to another person's life. You know, one of the things I've always loved, and I, I had this as a child, not this particular one, but I've always loved these. I think my mom had one at the house, and it was these Russian dolls, and um, or, or statue here, and, and I loved it because you just kind of popped it open, and uh, so that, that particular structure yielded, uh, yielded this little structure. Now, it's, it's kind of identical, but it's, it's amazing that this one fits in there, but there is a there is a relationship going, here, going on here. And then in the middle of that relationship, there's another relationship that's taking place. And each of these represent these different relationships that are all part of the kind of social working of, of the uh, people of Israel. And then you've got this little, little bitty cute one right here. And it's right here, the, the, the individual here. And then all of these kind of stack up into each other in that that this relationship, when it goes into here, becomes, uh, it's, inclusive, it's including this, this particular figurine, and now with the closing of the top, it becomes exclusive. And so through society, we have all these kinds of relationships that provide some sort of insight, some sort of value, some sort of intentionality that um, speaks volumes into the societal makeup. And so, uh, these relationships are relationships within relationships. Um, all these structures that we experience in our lives are, represent this idea of, of, of relationship and intentionality. Um, value through a mechanism of inclusiveness and exclusiveness. Now, I grant you that this can go south really fast, and we've seen historically with mankind how creating caste systems and, and uh, enslaving people, uh, but, but that's a distortion of an idea that God had. I mean, this idea of being different and being part of a tribe, being part of a family, being part of a marriage, that all these little structures were God's design, but when we begin to use these structures in bad ways, they, they become something really evil on the planet. Now, by none of this, does it mean because I have an exclusive family that pretty much you can't join? Um, you say, wow, that was pretty rude. Well, no, unless we make a determination to foster care or adopt. And it's like, no, we have an exclusive family. There's the Rienzo family. It's exclusive. But the fact that I love my family doesn't mean I hate your family. Doesn't mean that I don't want my family to interact with your family. Doesn't mean I have bad will. And this is the same with God. Just because God chose a people and called that people Israel and decided to create promises within those people doesn't mean he hates the rest of the world. Matter of fact, he embeds inside the secret code of the people of Israel in Abraham the seed to bring forth the Messiah that's going to bless the whole world. But for the most part, God seems to have this exclusive relationship, and he's even created a way to become part of the people of Israel. So I know that's a lot of, of, of kind of psychology and anthropology and, and theology on this, um, but it will make this other point kind of like drop in an aha kind of moment, because when Jesus arrives, the prevailing idea is that without being an Israelite, you are not valued by God that you're, not, you're excluded from the promises of God. And to a large part, that is, that is true. Not the valued part, but the idea of being excluded from the promises of God. So when Jesus comes on the scene, the contrast is deep and rich. I mean, the blacks are black, the whites are white, and there's almost no grayscale in this photograph. You know, they're, they're, you're either a, you're Jewish or you're this other word. You were called a Gentile. And it didn't matter what 
you know, if you were an English Gentile, though there really weren't any at the time, but, you know, it didn't matter what kind of Gentile you were, you were, it was basically down to two types of, uh, uh, in the photograph, there was just strictly blacks and whites in these photographs, and there was no grayscale in between. You were either part of the kingdom of Israel, the, the nation of Israel, or you were a Gentile. Um, and so people interacted with you different. The Jewish people, for instance, we have one place where at the crucifixion of Christ that the Jews wouldn't even go into Pilate's house, I think it was because of the Passover. They wouldn't even set foot in his house because he was uh, an unclean Gentile. So Pilate had to come out and talk to him because the Jews wouldn't go in and talk to him. Uh, Gentiles were not allowed to be a part of the sacramental rite of the, uh, the Jewish practice of their faith unless they converted and became part of the nation. So you can see how this, the situation that was set up at the time of Jesus, this idea of exclusiveness, this idea of inclusiveness, is now kind of reached its zenith. So we come to today. Because for a lot of us today, we're still in that place of thinking of a caste system when it comes to God. Now, we may not call ourselves Gentiles today, but... We may call ourselves damaged goods. We may call ourselves unforgivable. We may call ourselves beyond hope. You know, in the South, you always hear some guy who will say, yeah, I can't go to church, church, the walls will fall down. Now, you know, um, that, that may be kind of a, a phrase that people use, but for a lot of us, there, there is this sense of, um, there's these people of God, there are these children of God, there are these perfect people, and I'm on the outside and I'm looking in. And, and you may even be a Christian and feel that way. But there's this sense of there's a caste system in the kingdom of God. It's like old Pastor Paul, he's, he's got his life all together. No, I don't got my life all together. That's why if you come to Crosstown for any amount of time and you just rewind it a little bit, you'll find out that I don't have my life together. Um, but... But today, we still have this idea that there are certain people that are allowed to be a part of this, and there are some people, certain kind of experiences that you've had, maybe struggling with being gay, maybe um, you've been through your third marriage, maybe you have an addiction to porn, maybe you drink a lot of alcohol, maybe you struggle, and maybe you're just in a situation where you're like, you've just walked away from God so much you just don't think you can come back. And you think that there's this wall between you and God. Or maybe those of us inside of the church think that there's a wall between us and God inside and those who are outside. But as we learned last, year, last week when Jesus died, that um, when he died, the veil was torn in two. But I think it's also interesting that we were given the eyewitness testimony that the rocks split, that the earth quaked. All, and then the graves split open, we're told. What are all these things? These are objects of splitting. These are objects of raising, tearing down, destroying something, creating access. I mean, it doesn't just say the earth quaked. It said rocks were split because he wanted us to, to use that as a parallel of what was going on in the spiritual world. Uh, what was going on in the community of God was also being represented in the physical world. And in the middle of all that testimony, we're told that a Gentile, that his testimony is recorded in the gospel, we're told a Gentile centurion says this, truly, this was the Son of God. Wow. I mean, I think it's incredible that, that the story tags a Gentile making the statement and declaration and the affirmation of who Christ is, because that's part of what Christ was doing in the story. But I think it goes even deeper than that. The Apostle Paul goes to great lengths to make sure that everyone knows that when Christ was raised, when he was torn down, and when he was what Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In his ex personal experience of being excluded from the living, excluded from this fellowship with God the Father, 
that in that moment that God was changing who was going to be involved in the story of God. That the community of God was being changed. That the promises of God were no longer going to be a certain kind of person. That the promises of God, the Apostle Paul said, were yes and amen to anyone who is in Christ. So, you know, as a Bible belter, you may be like, wait a minute now, you, you, you're, not, you're not saying them, right? You know, and I think, you know, if I kind of do that a little bit more, you'll, you, know, you know them, you know? It's like you're not telling me they can be saved, right? Yeah, you can't be saved and be one of them. Now, I don't know who your them is, but I think every one of us got somebody that we think is kind of like on the other side of the veil, somebody that's, uh, that the rocks didn't split for. But it's exactly what the Apostle Paul was saying was, was that when we're in Christ, see, it's, it's no longer, you know, I got to be Jewish, then I got to be stacked into a tribe, and then I got to be stacked into a priesthood, and then I got to be stacked into doing it right, and then I've got to make sure that I'm holy, and then I've got to make sure that I'm the high priest, and then I get to go be with God. No, all of this, son of a gun, all of this is just taken apart, and there we go. It's all thrown down. Where are you, little person? You're in here somewhere. For God so loved the world that he gets down to what? He gets down to his whosoever. And there's the whosoever. See, that's you and me. And it's no longer all this stacking. It's now whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. It's like, wait a minute. You made that way too easy. What about, what about alcohol? What about smoking? What about homosexuality? What about, what about you know, whether or not you pay tithes to, and you know, could be a member of your church? What, what about, you know, yeah, but you're still struggling with porn? It's like, no, Jesus did something amazing on the cross. The resurrection of Christ was something amazing. It wasn't just another version of being Jewish or another version of being Catholic. Or it was something that was amazing that God coined the phrase good news. It was something that now that I can have relationship with God because I, the whosoever of the world, that I could be in Christ and have relationship with my heavenly Father. Listen to, to what the Apostle Paul says. And as I read this, I, I want you to listen for words because I think whatever words you kind of, they kind of like, you know, speak in you, um, you know, somebody can call you a name and, you know, you call me a bunch of names, but if you came up with a particular name that you said to me that, you know, I remember, uh, um, uh, I dare you, I double dog dare you, I triple dog dare you, you know. And it was kind of like you didn't really fight over I dare you or I, I double. But when you got the triple dog dare you, I mean, it was pretty much, if you didn't throw a punch, you pretty much were a chicken or a yellow belly is what we used to say. You know, it's the idea of being, you know, like the skin of a chicken. It's like you were, you were somebody that was afraid. And, and then at that point, most of us would fight if we were called that particular name. But I want you to listen as I read, and I wanted to see if there's a name that calls you out. Um, because I think God may want to deal with that today. If there's a word that is said, because the Apostle Paul is going to go through all the, all the litany of words here, and I want to see if one speaks to you, because maybe that's the part that God wants to overturn in your life. Maybe it's a word that you think about. So let me read, read it to you. Therefore, the Apostle says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Wow. I mean, are any of those, I mean, I think today people feel like, I saw it in the news, where is God in the coronavirus? You know, the sense of, without hope, without God. And I love it. It says, not just without God, a belief in God, a, a theology of God, but without God in your world. That's a big difference, is that you're just not having the hope that God's really with me in the middle of all this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were 
far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. I mean, those words were powerful. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Then he says in Colossians, in carrying out this words, because I, I think he wants to ping this in you, because even if you're a Christian here today, you, you may think, well, God's loved me, but God doesn't want to be with me. God doesn't approve of me. God does, as if there's kind of like a caste system in the kingdom of God. Paul says this, and you who once were alienated and hostile in your minds, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So let me ask, do words like alienated, hostility, strange, separated, without hope, resonate inside of you. I mean, when you think of you and God, when you think of you and the people of God, the community of, of God, I mean, do you, do you feel like you're still an alien in all this? Do you feel like you're, there, that God still has some hostility against you, that you know, your tire goes flat because of this reason? Or, or do you feel like you're odder than everybody else because everybody else seems to read their Bible so well, and, but I don't really like reading my Bible. Everybody else seems to love prayer, and I really, I fall asleep during prayer. Everybody else seems to not have a problem with this, but I'm always struggling with it. And then saying I'm not going to do it, and then doing it again. And we begin to think that there's a caste system in the kingdom of God that we're, we're that, you know, guess God so loved the world. But we don't realize that, that when we become the whosoever, when we decide that we're going to respond to that love, that, that we are part of the kingdom. We're part of his family. We are brought in to relationship with him. The gospel let us hear the words of the very man who led the soldiers to nail the, the Christ to the cross. I mean, this guy couldn't have been more out of the kingdom of God than anybody. I mean, he's Roman, so he's conquered the Jewish people. And then, he's not only, that, if, that, if that wasn't a good enough, you know, like, metaphor for you of somebody who's outside of the kingdom. It's like now he's the guy that's got the troops, that's got the Christ, that puts the Christ on the cross, and then he tells his soldiers, yeah, put the nails in him, and then hoist them up. I mean, he's the guy overseeing the death of Christ. So the reason why we're given his testimony is because God wants you to realize that the worst person we could imagine in the story all of a sudden makes an affirmation that this truly was the Son of God. And that in that moment of splitting, the rocks were splitting, the earth was quaking, the graves were opening up, a Gentile's heart splits, and he receives Christ into his life. The worst of the worst. And God invites him to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's like, man, that should be powerful in your life. That concept should be alive in you. Um, his affirmation becomes his inclusion. And I don't care what you have done or what lifestyle you are currently living in. And I know some of you are like, whoa, Pastor, you're going to be one of those churches. No, I don't care. 
I mean, he broke down the wall. I mean, for everybody. Um, inclusion through Christ supersedes perfection through works. Okay? Put that in your Bible belt and smoke it. Um, inclusion through Christ supersedes perfection through works. That means I don't care how perfect your life is. It's the inclusion through Christ that got you there, that gets you into the presence of God, the family of God. And it's, so it's like for those of us who have tried, who are going through sacramental rites, those of us, you know, and then those of us who are downing other people because of what is a part of their lives, Jesus tore this, this curtain in half so that all of us, the whosoever's of the world, not those who are stacked right in sacramental right or rightly related to everybody else around them or rightly related to themselves, it's the little whosoever that when we believe in Christ, that we are a part of this family of God, this commonwealth of God. Inclusion precedes obedience. It's very important to realize that you are included before obedience is expected. It's not obedience produces inclusion. That's not good news. I mean, we already had that. I mean, we already had Moses and the law. I mean, how, how is that an improvement that, well, if you, know, if you do this right, and, and you know, and again, I, it's a, ch- a pastor of a church. We gotta, make, we gotta make people feel a part of Crosstown, so we come up with like five things you gotta do to be a, like a member or a covenant partner, and, and I get it, I get it. I understand some of that, but, but, it, but at the same time, I, I don't get it, you know? And then we make a list of what are the five things you got to do. And, and we just chose to pick this one and then that one and that one. And oh, it just happened to be there's a money one in there. And so it's kind of like, well, if you want to be a part of us, that's what you got to do. And I get it. I, I get it. You know, uh, but I don't get it if, we're, if it changes the way that we're communicating the gospel of Christ. What it means to belong, to be included. If it strikes at the whosoever and gives them a false idea of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Transformation is the Christian living room. It's not the front door. We get transformed when we're in Christ. We don't get transformed so that we can get in the door. Remember, Jesus is standing at the door and knocks so that whoever opens up the door, it doesn't say whoever cleans up their house. It doesn't say whoever gets everything perfect. I, I, I mean, Jesus just wanted to sit down and have dinner with them. It's like, hey, want to break bread with you. What an expression of, of communion with each other. And that's what's going on in the tearing down of the body of Christ and the raising of the body of Christ back up. Let me ask you, when I was reading those verses, did you hear words like brought near, peace, reconciled, access to the Father, citizens, Members of the household, members of the family. Did those words pop out at you? You know, the problem is, is that for a lot of us, we probably heard the bad words and we didn't hear all the good words. We didn't hear all the things we were included. We were just reminded of all the things that excluded us. But God wants you to feel these words. He wants you to experience these through, through his word, through his spirit. He wants it to drop into your psychology. He wants it to drop into the way that you do life with people around you. Bringing people near. Creating peace. Reconciling people. Being ministers of this gospel. You know, maybe in all of this, God is trying to speak something different to you today. Maybe you did hear the words peace and brought near and all those different elements that I talked about. But maybe it's time for you to raise, to raise. Maybe God wants to tear down something in your life so that you can raise something up. Maybe it's time for you to tear down a separation between you and another person. Maybe there's a relationship that God wants you to be the element of tearing down the wall between you and someone else. Maybe that wall represents unforgiveness. Maybe that wall represents ethical differences, moral differences. You know, whatever the differences may be. 
Maybe today that God's saying, listen, you saw what I did, go and do likewise. That I tore down this wall between you and me, now I want you to go and begin to tear walls down in your life. You know, in this virus moment, and in any moment like this, the reason why I kind of like these moments, and I'm not saying I like the virus and, or, or anything like that, but I, the reason why I like, like hurricanes and you know, like 9-11 and all that stuff is that, it, that God uses moments like that to create divine opportunity because we get sequestered into our own lifestyles. Soccer, we go to school, we go do that, we go to the gym at five, we come home, we, we cook our meals, and we go to bed, and we just kind of do our things, and we get into our routines. It takes an event like this to all of a sudden, we're talking to people we don't normally talk to, six feet away, but we're talking to people that we normally don't talk to. We're FaceTiming a little bit more than we did before. We've got a little bit more opportunity to have a conversation with somebody that we don't normally have a conversation with. Can I encourage you, maybe that there's a person in your life that you have decided that you're never going to talk to again. The wall went up and you have decided I will never speak to them again because what they did for me, did to me. But right now, it's not weird to call people and ask them how they're doing. Right now, it's, it's not weird to FaceTime people. It's not weird to help your neighbor or... or, or um, develop a new friendship. There's an opportunity, a divine opportunity for us to maybe call a dad that we used to not get along with and call him and say, hey, listen, Pop, just, just wanted to check in on you. I know we haven't talked in a while, but I wanted to make sure you were okay. It's like, you know, but I don't like him. Yeah. Um, you, God didn't create Adam and Eve a garden because he thought they were cute. God didn't send Jesus to the cross because you and I were likable, okay? God, it was out of the heart of God that he wanted to include us in his kingdom, that whosoever would believe on his son, that we would not perish and that we would have eternal life. This is all coming from God. And now God says to us, what you see me doing, I want you to do it. Be my disciples, be my emulators. Just go out there and do exactly what, love one another as I have loved you. And this is an opportunity for that. Right now we're in America and, and it's interesting that the walls are going up. You know, there, people wanna blame who's, who's responsible for this, for this virus. Um, right now we're in a place where social distancing is necessary. Um, we're in a time where young people are, you know, don't seem to be as concerned about this as baby boomers. And, and, and now there's like this, uh, they're calling the coronavirus the boomer remover. Um, it's like, you know, some young folks are like, kind of like, hey, it's going to kill all these old people off, you know. And, um, and, 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 and those, see, that's what happens when we begin to look at these distinctions, these inclusiveness words and exclusive words, and we take them apart from God and we create a caste system. But you know, maybe you did that in your family. Maybe your husband did you wrong. And now you've created a caste system with him. Now there are certain ways that you talk to him and you talk to your kids a little bit differently. You know, and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve some response, but, but is it possible that in, then in all this that God says, it's time for us to tear down the wall together? I tore down the wall between you and me. Now it's your time to tear down the wall. That God tore down social distancing between us and him, and now he wants us to share the gift. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us with our neighbor with someone you dislike, with someone who maybe offended you, maybe somebody who's totally different than you, maybe somebody that's of a different religion than you, somebody that is, is involved in a, a, a relationship that you don't approve of. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that the whosoevers wouldn't have to go through a litany of approval and sacramental right 
and and removal of all ethnic differences and personal differences in order to get into the kingdom of God, but rather so that we could break down the wall to bring the inclusiveness of the love of God into everyone's life who wants it. So as we go into this moment of expressions, and and I I know we're at home, and, and this may be done a little bit differently, but let this be a time where Maybe you got to get up and go into another room and be alone. You know, maybe this is a moment when you're grabbing a hold of your spouse. And don't say too much. Don't say too much because sometimes we just say something stupid. But maybe just grabbing that hand um, is, a, is a breaking down of a wall. Um, maybe this is a time when you just, as we're worshiping, that you just stay in this moment with God. Let me encourage you, you can go to your, your um, cabinets, get some bread, maybe some juice and be ready. And maybe this is a time where you and your family will have communion together. Maybe this is a time that you write something on a piece of paper, something that somebody did against you. And then you tear it up. You tear it up. But let this be a time when the wall between you and God, which is already open, that the words like alien and separated and hostility, that they all melt away through the grace of God. But also let it be a time when you allow those words to melt away between you and someone around you. Father, we thank you for your love. As we come into this precious moment, we are, we are Gentiles. We were people that were outside of the promise. We were, as you said, afar off. Not only ethnically, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that God, you are welcoming every one of us to draw near, that we can approach the throne of grace in times of need, that through the blood of Jesus, through the resurrection, through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the promise of your word, through your community, through the believers in Christ, we draw together and we draw close to you, O God. For we are the ones who have God in this world. We thank you, God, so much for your love. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you. Let me encourage you as we sing this last worship song together. Just let it just speak over your life. Talk to God. Let this be a moment that you have. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about the words that are inside of you and the ones that need to be there. Thank you.